Welcome to Design Your Life in Business, the podcast for leaders by Bright Mind Consulting Group. We give you the necessary tools to help you become the architect of not just your business, but your life too. I'm your host, Javon Wooden. Hey, Atlanta, how are you today? Hey, Javon, I'm great. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for coming on. We are in for a treat today. We got Atlanta Hill. And the first question I'm going to ask you is a question I ask everyone. Who are you? Who is Atlanta Hill? Wow. Who am I? Well, whenever I take a Myers-Briggs assessment or a DISC assessment, they both agree that I'm a fun, outgoing nerd. So that's who I am at the start. To take that a little deeper, I am a woman of God. I am a wife. I'm the mother of four amazing young men. I'm an engineer and a project manager. So I'm a lot of ands, lots of commas there as I get to describe myself and the amazing life that I've had the privilege of living. Absolutely. So that ties right into my next question then. So can you share us your journey of becoming a change leadership expert and then how taking ownership of your life and career played a significant role into it? Well, you know, what is so interesting, I believe that the timing of certain things happen on purpose. I have to add this interesting anecdote. I just connected with a former manager of mine on LinkedIn and even shared with him that I realized that I don't give enough public credit for him and how he helped me in my journey. So this is an awesome opportunity to even mention that. So I started my career as a field engineer and it was a very rigorous and grueling environment the schedule, the conditions and all of that. But I learned very quickly about how to leverage technology in this case for the oil industry. I then took my love of technology and my combination of my love for people and became a learning and development technologist. So really implementing technology so that our learning and development systems and processes could be effective and that we could use great tools. We were beginning to implement computer-based training and things like this. And this was when I say beginning to, this was in the 90s. So I was on the bleeding edge of a lot of technology. I was MSDN certified. So those of us geeks know what that is. That's that Microsoft Development Network, I think. <laughs> so uh, certainly, <laughs> okay. <laughs> certainly cut a lot of my geek teeth in those early days. And the focus was on digital transformation. I got tapped on the shoulder and this is where the anecdote goes for the manager that I reconnected with. There I was, you know, struggling through the daily grind of, well, being awakened at three o'clock in the morning to get to the well site, to go hook up equipment and do all the things you had to do to perform oil fit services. And I had already through some training and through conversations expressed my affinity for technology and processes. Long story short, he made some phone calls and he is actually the reason I got transferred to IT. And that transfer to IT really allowed me to go from an environment where I was barely surviving. I mean, anyone that's got time, when I tell my oil field horror stories, sometimes people clutch their pearls and they're mortified. So I went from barely surviving to an environment where I was thriving. I was learning and growing and I was doing something that I really enjoyed. And then I very quickly latched on to the people side of project management, which led me to how people respond to change, how we lead people through change and how that impacts organizations. And so every step of my journey, even the ones that if you asked me, I would really rather not have to do again, they all led to me establishing an expertise in change leadership from an emotional intelligence standpoint, also from a critical thinking standpoint. And so really being able to combine those skills through my journey. 
And then the other part that you asked is about ownership of my career. Well, I have that one story, which was me vocalizing what I wanted to do and kind of repeating that early and often, but then not stopping there and just continuing to sit with my managers and partner with them and not allow them to make decisions on my behalf, but to hold them accountable to the decisions that they were making for my career until I ultimately started my own business so that I could make all the decisions. (laughs) (laughs) No, I love that. I mean, and that shows that you don't have to be in one box. Like if you make a decision to do one thing, you can pivot and that's the beauty of life. But what made you want to do that oil field tech engineering? You know, (laughs) it's so funny. Again, interesting timing. I've run into some people recently that when I was in high school, I was, you know, I was good in math and science. And so kind of began looking at that and obviously, oh, she's going to be a doctor. So I'd gone to a program for pre-college program uh, geared towards pre-med students. And I had a great time there. It was actually at Purdue a and University. So I spent a couple of weeks as an HBCU student and really enjoyed the experience. And it opened my eyes to STEM more broadly. So before that, I didn't really know what my math and science options were. Um, and that program let me see that engineering was an option not one that I was considering until they showed me the childbirth video that then made me tap out and say, okay, well, maybe I won't be a doctor because of course I won't be (laughs) again. (laughs) And then you went on to have four of your own, huh? (laughs) Well, yeah, so that program, and it's so important. And one of the reasons I'm so passionate about working with youth, especially where STEM access and opportunities are considered is because you don't know what you don't know. And when we get exposed to those things that can help us make those decisions, as I mentioned, I've got four young men and the first adult decision that they each get to make is what are you going to do after high school? What next? We get to guide them. We get to be that guide on the side, that powerful mentor, but it's their decision. And for them to make a good decision, they need to have been exposed to different programs. And so for myself, as a first-gen college student living in, uh, if you're familiar with Houston, I lived in Greens Point, aka Guns Point. And so there wasn't the exposure to what STEM career options were. I mean, certainly I'd been to a doctor, so I knew what a doctor was, but I didn't know what an engineer was. And I certainly didn't know what a petroleum engineer was. And so that led to the ultimate point of that decision was being that when I was applying for college scholarships, I found a scholarship for the petroleum engineering department at Texas A&M University. And so when I had received the academic scholarship for Texas A&M University, they had a really fabulous needs-based academic scholarship to really help bolster the enrollment for black and brown students. And so I benefited from that scholarship being available and certainly, you know, worked very hard to earn it. But while I was putting everything together, when I came across the one for petroleum engineering and added that to my scholarship bucket, it not only added additional funds, but it made me look in a direction that I wouldn't have otherwise looked in. I mean, I was not considering that. And that's how they got me hooked my freshman year. And I never changed. I think that's amazing. I mean, For one, you did the research, you did the work to find the scholarships and find the opportunities. And two, being willing to step out of your comfort zone and say, yeah, I know I said I was going to do this, but I'm going this way. So what were some of the challenges that you faced along the way and how did resilience play a role in overcoming those challenges? Wow, Javon, you know, I spend a lot of time talking about resilience, my own and others. It's a really important part of change leadership and a very important part of life and leadership. 
I began to build my resilience muscles, if you will, around that same time. And I was talking about applying for scholarships. Unfortunately, at that time in my life, my mother had actually just been murdered. And that happened the weekend before the start of my senior year in high school. So I was college bound, but that of course gave me pause because grief, no matter what conditions, creates an incredible amount of pause. And then after that pause, I was able to collect enough of myself. I was still, as a young woman, still working through a whole lot of circumstances, but I was able to pivot strongly enough to fill out those applications, continue what I needed to do and stay committed to what I said I would. And that's where purpose becomes so important when it comes to resilience, because I had in mind, while I didn't have full clarity of what my purpose was, I won't declare that I was a 17 year old that knew her purpose in life, but I knew, and I had a vision for what I wanted my life to be like. And there was a purpose alignment there that let me, even in some difficult situations, keep pressing forward. I wanted to press towards that vision press towards that goal. And unfortunately, unfortunately, that has served me well through other trials and tragedies like the loss of my oldest son and being able to continue to push forward with the purpose that I, by that point, had established, understood, and had clarity on. But that allowed me to continue to operate in resilience and pivot to get there, but be unwavering in what I ultimately wanted to do. Now, I have to ask you, because you lost your mother and your oldest son, where did that resilience come from? How do you find that? I would be remiss if I didn't give honor and glory to God. I'm a woman of faith and I do not sit here of my own strength, of my own abilities, capabilities. I consider my strength a grace gift from God. And having faith just is really about continuing to stay connected to what your source is. It doesn't mean that pain doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean that I wasn't face down after the loss of my son or face down after the loss of my mom. It meant that when I was able to get up and wipe my face off, that I still had a way forward. And that's what's really, really helped me throughout my life and throughout my career is knowing that I'm going to fall. I ran track when I was in high school and for a little bit in college. And so I know that falling is always part of a race. But when you get back up, that's what really determines who and how you run the race. Absolutely. And I will tell you, designers, as you listen to this, you would never know what Atlanta has been through. When I joined the National Speakers Association, she was one of the first people here in Houston to welcome me with open arms, and she was willing to have conversations with me. I mean, just the most chipper, the best disposition you could ever meet. So you would never know this. So thank you for sharing that story, because I know some of the designers listening, and I myself, you know, we all have our stories. So you've decided to kind of use all that you've gone through throughout your life. And now you've modeled that and built a career, not just doing training and stuff, but you're actually a premier speaker. Can you tell us how you use your background and all of the experiences to build this career that you've built, this business? Well, you know, I mean, our, our career is like a great recipe and a good chef knows not to just waste good ingredients. And Throughout my life, even some of the most difficult situations have 
taught me amazing lessons. And so I don't leave that behind on the chopping block. I make sure that I put that in the gumbo, if you will, if you're from Louisiana. And so I make sure that that's part of it because all of that flavors what I do and it always informs the decisions that I make. So when I consider that, it's also about making sure that as I'm learning these lessons, that I'm realizing from a purpose standpoint that I'm learning these lessons, not just for me, but for someone else. And that always keeps me focused on not only the reason why things happen, but how someone else might be able to benefit. You mentioned how chipper and joyful I am. And that joy really comes from knowing that I can just be a constant help and benefit to the world around me. And that just gives me immense joy, even on some of the most difficult days. Absolutely. Is there a process you go through like to remind yourself what your purpose is and to remind yourself, hey, I got this? Not so much a process at this point. So there was certainly a process to build up to this. And while professional and personal development never stops, once we stop growing, well, we stop living just like plants. So I continue to go through a change leadership model that I use with my clients and I call it decide, devise, do, and review. So whenever I'm making a major decision, I always pause, I decide, I evaluate that decision, I commit to the decision, or I recognize that maybe that's not the right decision. So I really analyze my decisions, not to where I overanalyze and don't move, but to where I move methodically. And I really am a firm believer in making measured moves. And so as a result of that, the shifts that I make have always been strategic. And so they've always been getting me where I'm going. Perfect example, I mentioned my, I'll call it an admiration for uh, emotional intelligence competencies. Well, I knew in order for me to be effective with my clients and in my own life, because it's an amazing skill set for each of us to have as individuals, but I pursued over the years, emotional intelligence certifications and different levels of that so that I could not only build more credibility with my clients, but so that I could live that out myself. And it was about being strategic about that and deciding as a small business owner, where do I want my professional development dollars to go? Where do I want my time to go? And how is that aligning with my larger business strategy and the purpose that I have for both my life and my business? That's powerful. So you said a lot there. And one of the things that stood out to me is emotional intelligence. Now, I've run into some great leaders, but they didn't have the highest emotional intelligence. So what are some ways that the designers listening here can help build their EI? The best thing that you can do, I tell my clients, you know what, sit with you, sit with yourself. Nothing will tell you more about you than you. And by that, I mean, literally paying attention to what moves your needle, what gets your blood pressure high, what puts the smile on your face as I just described, joy. Raising your self-awareness comes with spending enough time with you because at the root of that, you can't be aware of something you don't spend time with. And many of us in our busyness don't spend enough time with ourselves. We're on to the next task, on to the next meeting, on to the next thing. And we completely lose sight of the fact of what triggered us, what set us off or what lights us up. And so we don't know. And so we're kind of figuring things out. Sit with yourself. Pay attention to the signals that your body is designed to give you and figure out what to do with that. I'm a member of the Six Seconds Emotional Intelligence Network, and we say that emotions are data and your body is sending you signals constantly 
about how you feel about something, that response, whether it is a smile response or, you know, something that doesn't show up in your nonverbals, but something happened physiologically. That's data. Pay attention to it. Find out what it's telling you. I love that. Emotions are data. That's a great way to put it. Now, I'm sure some people are listening and say, you know what? I try to sit with myself, but all these thoughts keep coming up. So what are you supposed to do when that happens? <laughs> write them down. Write them down. I've got stacks of journals because, look, I have busy brain. I mean, my mind is constantly going and either those are ideas. So you want to capture those ideas. But if it's a time to sit with you and understand you, jot the idea down, let that idea go, but then spend some time sitting down, writing how you respond to things, certainly capturing what you're grateful for. Starting with gratitude is the best way to build optimism. And optimism is one of our core strengths of emotional intelligence, which helps us build resilience. Resilience is rooted in optimism. As I described some of the tragedies that I've gone through, if I were not optimistic enough to think that I could have a better outcome in the future or that life could still go on, I would still be stuck in those situations. So it's about being optimistic, not toxic optimism. I love stressing that because so many of us have been around people and situations where we're supposed to just dismiss if something hurt, if something bothered you, if something offended you, and just smile through it. I never tell my clients that. I've never told my children that when they were young. And as adults, I certainly don't tell them that. And I don't subscribe to that myself. We feel what we feel. We acknowledge what we feel, but we don't overindulge our emotions. And we make sure that we are being just very aware of what our emotions are telling us because emotions are going to drive us. They're going to drive you to the ditch or they're going to drive you to the mountaintop. Now, I absolutely. I always tell my clients like, hey, you got to place an interrupt between that thought and that emotion and whether you're going to react or respond. I'd rather respond because that meant took time, right? To think about it, to ensure that I'm doing it intelligently versus reacting where we have that knee jerk and we just like, oh, shoot, I didn't really want to do that. So that's powerful what you just said. And toxic positivity, let's just keep it real. Like, if it, <laughs> you know, keep it real. And you can say, dang, I can't stand this, right? I hate that I did that. You don't have to be like, oh, it could be worse. <laughs> Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree, man, because that's really how you start building up this internal this strife going on because you're not keeping it real. Like you're saying something outwardly, but you don't really believe it. So I think that is a, a very good point. So what role does would you say that goal setting and planning would play in someone taking ownership of their life? Wow, that's the thing. Without that, you're in trouble. You're floundering. When you set a goal and you're committed to that goal, that goal is what continues to drive you. And if that goal is aligned with your purpose as it should be, <laughs> then that is what you're going to continue for. If you set a goal that's not aligned with your purpose, those are the goals that don't succeed. They were initiatives that you started that you probably shouldn't have. Maybe you saw someone on social media pursuing something and you thought, oh, that seems like a good idea. I want to do that too. Yeah, but that's not for you. So making sure that you set goals that are in line with your purpose and just being strategic when we plan that out, that is what keeps us getting up every day. It's that sense of I'm going to accomplish the big thing, 
But as long as we establish those milestones along the way, and this is where my project management professional training comes in and helps me when I create these strategic plans, is setting up the milestones so that we can celebrate the accomplishments along the way. Because you know what? That dopamine drip that you get when you check off something, oh, I love that. I love to create a task just so I can mark it off and say, look what I did. Because accomplishment is great. Success begat success. Absolutely. Beautifully stated. That's why you're a premier speaker, like I said earlier. She's phenomenal. So question for you. Someone identifies their goals, but then they're like, you know, I don't know if that aligns with me. How does someone become the change leader of their life? Well, okay, so for one, self-awareness, and that will sound a little bit redundant, but I do want to really open your mind and your thinking to the benefit of coaching and mentorship, because if sitting with you is the problem, <laughs> in other words, <laughs> if you're holding up you, if you sit with you for too long, you're still going to be held up. So I want to be really careful when I encourage people to sit with yourself. I'm not encouraging anyone that wants to succeed to lock themselves in their room and then come out when they've got full self-awareness and go do it all on their own, because that is a recipe for failure. But I do want you to have adequate enough time with yourself to understand yourself while also partnering with trusted mentors and advisors who can give you guidance. Uh, there are also great resources that help you to understand your strengths along with, like I said, when we kind of evaluate ourselves, but using tools, I use extended disc in my practice to give us insight into what our interpersonal strengths are. It helps you understand what your motivations are because when we understand what motivates us, we also understand what demotivates us. There's some stuff to know. So reference the tools, have an amazing coach like Javon to help you on your journey. But going it alone is just wandering in the wilderness. And yeah, it might make for a great Facebook story when you finally make it out on the other side. But if you want to get there intact and be able to do it again, have repeatable success, you want to have a coach and you want to have a methodology and you want to be able to think those things through. Absolutely. Well, first and foremost, thank you for your kind words. You're too kind. I appreciate that. But you said a lot. I mean, that is so true. Like as a peak performance coach, dealing with a bunch of high achievers and all that stuff. I'm sure you see it. Like people do all of this work and then they kind of get lost in the shuffle, so to speak. So how do you ensure, like just check in with yourself to say, this is actually what I want, or this is actually what I need to be doing? Well, I, one of the things that I do, and this is where my technology background really comes in handy, is that I like to use tools like Asana that help me recognize when I've committed to something. So your commitments are tasks, but success starts with action. So what is it that I'm taking action on? What have I accomplished so far? What have I yet to accomplish? And how is this fitting in and aligning with my purpose? Am I setting myself up to do a lot of things? Am I really busy doing a lot of things that aren't getting me where I want to go? The best way to know that is if we're tracking it. Just like if you ever work with any physical trainer, any weight loss coach, the first thing they'll tell you is monitor what you're eating, write down, write down what you've eaten, the steps that you've taken, the activities that you've done. And if you think about your career, just like a great health and wellness plan, something comprehensive, it is really about what you've done, what you haven't done, and where what you're doing is taking you. And that's really how you stay focused on that. Absolutely. You are dropping all the gems. So <laughs> I want to get to something, right? You are known for your distinctive approach that you call leading change the misengineer way. 
where you marry critical thinking and compassionate leadership to enable the creation of inclusive, resilient, and competitive organizations. I wanted to make sure I got that right. So how does your framework promote compassion and leading change effectively among leaders in a company? So, so I mean, because the framework basically combines the benefits of thinking critically, meaning I like to encourage my clients to walk around a problem. And by that, I mean, take a problem and look at it from different sides of different aspects. Take out a, a personal professional development. While that's not a problem, it is something that we want to improve. Walk around that and see what needs to happen. I encourage the use of a SWOT analysis, which is strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats as an analytical tool to ensure that we've thought about this from many different directions. That's important. And it keeps it to where I've thought about it in many directions, but I didn't get stuck in paralysis by analysis. I thought it through and now I'm ready to move on. And that's where the critical thinking of defining what that is, but then the compassion to say that, okay, in order to accomplish what we said we're going to accomplish, whether it's you as an individual, whether it's a team, how we're going to accomplish that is going to require grace. It's going to require accountability. The two are not mutually exclusive. It's going to require a focus on compassion and empathy, understanding that sometimes what we've set out to do, our outcomes aren't always a direct result of our effort because you know what? Life happens. We don't use that as an excuse, but boy, you know, I've lived enough life to know that is more of a truism than a bumper sticker any day. Woof. All right. All right. I like that. I like that. Perfect. So you've also written several books. I mean, I'm wondering how you have all this time <laughs> to do all this when you got so much you're doing. You know, it's amazing. But you've written several books and one is called What's Your Catalyst? The Power of Managed Change. How does the concept of a catalyst tie into resilience and personal ownership? When you think about science, change always needs a catalyst. And I mean, change can happen without a catalyst, it can happen slowly, but a catalyst helps to accelerate change. So when we think about it in our own lives, our catalyst aligns with our purpose, our passions and our priorities, and it really thrusts us into change. And when I say thrust, it doesn't throw us off in the wrong direction. I'm always very clear about that with my clients. You don't want to just jump on something. Our mama was wise when she said, don't make emotional decisions. That really means don't make a decision devoid of logic because our decision should be based on emotion. And that's where the catalyst comes in. It says, okay, there's emotions driving me. I mentioned earlier about emotions are data. Emotions drive us. And then our logic says, well, where is it going to drive me? So we pair the two, and that is what makes the most effective business decisions, the most effective personal decisions. It helps people to sustain their marriages longer. I'm grateful to say that we're in my Jordan year right now of my marriage, so 23 years this Ooh, year. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I'm excited about that. And you know, when we want to have sustainable success in our lives, those things that can endure through the highs and lows, which we need our careers to do, then we want to make sure that we're leveraging our catalyst. And that means that we're tapping in to that internal drive and aligning it with external factors. So could you share a few tips for the listeners on how they find that catalyst and use it to drive their lives and careers? For one, I have some resources that help people kind of go through some exercises, as I mentioned, kind of part of the self-awareness. From a DIY standpoint, it's really about that self-awareness, about recognizing, and here's what's really powerful. All those times that you did 
whatever, it touches something. And when we sit and when we evaluate that those lessons learned, what do we learn from that? Okay. For example, when I started my business, I did a proof of concept, I like to say, because I was passionate about travel, passionate about helping people. And so I said, you know what? I'll do a travel business. It seemed like, you know, there was low barrier to entry from a business standpoint. And it was, you know, letting me kind of establish if this career ownership, if wanting to be an entrepreneur was something for me. And so it was a low risk endeavor that reaped many rewards in terms of what I learned about myself, what I learned about like the clients that I want to serve and the type of services that I want to provide. And so it's taking close note of those losses and those wins and telling ourselves, learning from what those lessons taught us about how much we enjoyed it. Because if we're doing something we don't enjoy, it's really, really hard to do that over the long term. So if it's lighting us up, if it's giving us joy, or is it draining all of our energy? So many people are stuck in burnout because they're doing things that are not congruent with their source of energy, with where they get their energy from and what fills them up. So when we balance our lives out with those and we pay attention to those energy indicators, then we can create a strategy that works for us in the long term. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I'm sure that that's very helpful. So looking towards the future, we all know there's a lot of things out there on the horizon, right? So how do you see the role of resilience and uh, personal ownership evolving in the professional world? Absolutely. Since we're incorporating uh, the remote work and now we're talking more about, you know, work-life balance and mental health. You know, an organization is only as resilient as its leaders. So we see resilience being one of the core competencies that organizations are looking for because, well, organizations don't want to fizzle. You know, there's a life cycle of organizations. So they want to make sure that they are bringing on people who have demonstrated resilience in their own lives and careers. So that's one. Another reason why transparency and authenticity is so helpful and valuable in our current climate. But it's also about when we think about the constant state of change that we're in, this isn't going to stop. I mean, yes, we're on, we now consider ourselves to be on the other side of the pandemic. The WHO declared it endemic a couple of months ago. I think it was about six weeks ago. So fairly recently, but we all know that at any given moment, because of the interconnectedness of the world, that any ripple effect in Russia, for example, could severely impact the economy in the U.S. and vice versa. So being able to continue to bounce back, which is what resilience is about, being able to bounce back and being able to persevere are key leadership traits that we just need to possess to be able to compete in the modern workforce, because those who can't are the ones that are going to be sitting watching those who can. Absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree. That was very well stated. So we're going to shift to our by design segment where I ask every guest the same three questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. <laughs> I knew you say you were. So what has been the hardest part about designing a life and business you don't need a vacation from? Oh, don't need a vacation. <laughs> Woo! Well, if you follow me on social media, it's because I'm always on vacation. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love that. The hardest part about that has been, and I've used this, statement with my sons is that you have to do what you have to do to be able to do what you want to do. And the reality is that there are some things that I don't necessarily want to do, but I know that I have to do. So the hardest part is, I mean, real talk 
is not being able to just get rid of the stuff that I don't want to do. It just, it still has to be done. And then I still have to just push through that so that I can just continue to celebrate life. That's the hardest part. I want to get rid of stuff. You said a word right there. I'm sure we all can attest to that. <laughs> so second question is, what is the best lesson you've learned on your entrepreneurial journey? Don't do it alone. It's a combination of community. So Javon, as you mentioned, we met in the National Speakers Association. So the benefit of community, the benefit of coaching, I've invested in coaching in my business for myself and for business processes and making the right investments because sometimes people can, oh, this is the shiny new object. No, 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 no. Making wise investments and being in community. And that's where community also helps with that because you can have conversations about what successes that people have had and, and really sharing that. It's really about, I'm a really firm believer and a really strong proponent of collaboration. I would love to think that I could, I sit here, I'm in the headquarters of Two Hill Consulting Services. And I would love to say that I've built this all by myself. Well, actually, I wouldn't even love to say that because I haven't. It's, you know, I've had a great team and I continue to make sure that I'm surrounded in community with people who, with like-minded individuals who have businesses that they also want to continue to build. Thank you so much for keeping it real because I affirm, I love saying collaboration over competition. Yeah. So thank you for reiterating <laughs> that for me. The last question is, what are three tools or tips that you will recommend when scaling a business? SCORE, S-C-O-R-E through the S-B-A. And I almost chuckle when I say that out loud because, well, their models change, of course, as a result of COVID. But so now being able to do so much of that on the phone is just so much easier. But I would certainly leverage SCORE. I would certainly leverage Asana as a tool because, again, if you don't organize and prioritize You'll be doing the wrong things on the wrong day. And that is really important. And one of the things that I really love helping, especially small business owners do, is to organize their processes and to streamline that and to you have the most effective uses of their tool. So that some of those things that I talked about earlier that I don't want to do, that the tool can help me either prioritize so I can delegate them to someone else or I can automate them or something. So Asana as a tool, I think it's a great management tool. And then another tool, if you're running a business that wants to get money, your business want to get paid, yeah. you got to have a CRM, right? Yes. You have, to, <laughs> you have to have a way that you are managing your client relationships. And by CRM, I'm not talking about something that just sends out email to people, your email list. I'm separating that from a system that will allow you to monitor who you've communicated with, how you've communicated with them. And these communications can be phone calls, meetups, but just managing those activities so that, again, they can be prioritized because it is the to have consistent revenue. I had the opportunity to learn at the feet of Delatoro McNeil. And one of the things that he said that is stuck with me is some of y'all are operating on if come. And I still laugh at that because if you don't have repeatable processes and a consistent way of managing your business's workflow and cash flow, if you make some money this month or if you don't, then no. So move from if come to income. <laughs> I love that. If come. Absolutely, man. We we are running businesses. We are not doing expensive hobbies over here. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. A great conversation. I mean, you've shared so much uh, that 
if you're listening, you need to listen a few more times to pick up everything she put down. So thank you so much for being here. How can everyone connect with you? LinkedIn is my playground. So if you want to come play, talk about, you know, some of the ways of the world in the workplace, find me on LinkedIn, Alana M. Hill. Also, I've got great resources available on my website that you can find at themisengineerway.com. That is the msengineerway.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. And everything she just mentioned will be in the show notes. So make sure you subscribe, like, and share, and then catch Miss Alana Hill right on LinkedIn or her website. Thank you so much for being here. It was a pleasure. And remember everyone, keep ascending. Thank you. Design Your Life and Business, the podcast for leaders is brought to you by Bright Mind Consulting Group. To find out more about Bright Mind Consulting Group and how you can become the best leader possible, visit brightmindconsultinggroup.com. Make sure you search for Design Your Life and Business on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Bright Mind Consulting Group, we cannot thank you enough for listening.